Big Red Bench. Come on. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. With Sure 72-hour non-stop protection. Tested to the limits. Sure, it won't let you down. You're listening to The Big Red Bench. Roy here with you until 7pm. And boy, do we have a show for you today. Limerick are the All-Ireland champions. An incredible performance by them. and seen them beat Kilkenny by nine points. Reaction to come from Croke Park. Cork legend Sean McGrath will join us on the line very, very shortly indeed to discuss that. Also on the show, reaction from the Cork Camogie campus. They booked their place in the All-Ireland final after a three-point win over Galway yesterday. Sarah McKenzie Foley joins us to talk about Max Verstappen happens dominance after another win today and we are going to talk American football, the Irish national team coming to Cork in a couple of weeks for a massive clash with Turkey You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM Glad you could join us on the Big Red Bench on Cork Shot FM this evening. If you want to get us uh, an old text and a WhatsApp, let us know what you thought of Limerick's performance today. 086 8104 106. And it is the Croke Park we go first and a full time report from Limerick's very, very impressive win over Kilkenny today. Ashling O'Reilly was watching. It's full time here in Croke Park and it's Limerick, the treaty men who are four in a row All Ireland champions. It finished Kilkenny 2.15, Limerick 30 points. What an incredible battle. The intensity was ferocious from start to finish. Kilkenny led by three points at the break thanks to an Owen Cody goal on the ninth minute. Dermot Burns opened the scoring of the second half from a free for Limerick. And what a performance he had here today. With just six minutes of the second half played, a Paddy Deegan shot found its way straight through the net of goal. Many thought it was wide, but it was very much a goal, giving the Cats a huge boost. Limerick responded and really kicked into gear in the second half, hitting five points in a row. Coming down the stretch, everything seemed to be going Limerick's way, with some class point-taking from out the field from all angles. Tom Phelan playing in his first All-Ireland was brilliant for Kilkenny. TJ Reid, not his best performance, but what a talent. Peter Casey, he came alive in the second half and picked up the man of the match, finishing with five points. What an incredible team this Limerick side are, and they are the All-Ireland champions for the fourth year in a row. It finished Limerick 30 points, Kilkenny 215. Just how good was that performance today? Genuine, lads. It was just incredible. I mean, like second half, they just blew Kilkenny away. Sensational stuff, absolutely sensational stuff. Sean McGrath is on the line. He will be joining us in just a couple of moments. Uh, but yeah, that was the final score today: thirty points to two fifteen. Uh, elsewhere, the uh, golf, uh, the final round of the Open Championship. Brian Harmon is well out in front, uh, one under par through fifteen. He's thirteen under all round. Uh, Sepp Straka is uh, the closest to him, but he's on eight under par. Roy McIlroy finished uh, six under. He shot a sixty eight today. Uh, Podrick Harrington uh, carried a 74 today he finished on 8 over power but yeah conditions there are difficult doesn't make for pleasant watching but Brian Harmon certainly looking very very composed and solid there as well uh, football and uh, play continuing today in the FA Cup ground for Cork City yesterday as they beat uh, Treaty United you can get uh, reaction from the Cork City camp and assistant coach Richie Holland on the Big Red Bench podcast from yesterday's show if you want to check that out but uh, two games uh, into the second half one has just kicked off Derry City the holders a goal up on Athlone Town Will Patching scored there after 23 minutes second half just about to kick off at the Ryan McBride Brandywell Dundalk a goal up on Shamrock Rovers Hayden Muller has found the back of the net uh, for the host Paul Doyle uh, sent off there on the half hour mark uh, after being shown a second yellow card and it's just kicked off in the uh, evening kickoff. There's a Longford Town take on St. Pat's earlier on today. St. Pat's CY had a 3 2 win over fellow Dublin side, Lucan United. And Scarry's Town had a 3 0 win away to Port Leash. Galway United have won the first ever All Ireland Cup. 
Gemma McGuinness scored the only goal of the game. David Clifton fell at 1-0 in today's final at the showgrounds. In swimming, Ellen Walsh secured her place at next year's Olympics in Paris today, finishing fourth in her 200 metres individual medley semi-final at the World Championship in Japan, breaking her previous Irish record. And Max Verstappen's charge, meanwhile, towards a third consecutive Formula One title, has continued with the victory at the Hungarian Grand Prix, finished ahead of McLaren's Lando Norris. Sergio Perez was in third. Lewis Hamilton had started on pole position, uh, but he finished in fourth. Sarah Mackenzie Foley is in studio. She'll be talking to us live about all that in just a couple of moments as well. Australia, meanwhile, have retained the Ashes after the fourth test against England was rained off. Not a single delivery on the final day at Old Trafford, meaning the match was drawn. That means the tourists who are 214 for five needing 61 more runs to make their opponents bad again cannot lose the series and uh, speaking of poor weather forced cancellation of today's race card at the Cora uh, track waterlogged that's been rearranged for Sunday the 13th of August you're listening to the Big Red Bench with sure 72 hour non-stop protection we are going to talk more hurling and a fantastic win today for Limerick as they beat Kilkenny by nine points. To talk more about the game, Cork legend Shawnee McGrath joins us on the line now. Shawnee, thanks for joining us on the Big Red Bench this evening. No problems are up to leave it. Uh, Shawnee, uh, come here, we have to give it up to Limerick first off. That was just an incredible second half performance and it's it's basically what Limerick are all about. Totally, Rory. I mean, at half time, um, you know, Kilkenny were in, in pole position and you know, Limerick obviously got the first couple of scores in the second half, but when Paddy Deegan got the goal, it was very much game on. And Kilkenny, five points up in the ascendancy, just after getting a brilliant goal after a brilliant move. Um, you would have said that Limerick were in trouble, but just their ability to, to regroup Rory. Um, they've created history, they've matched themselves, and, and Kilkenny on that four in a row um, achievement. Um, it was incredible, and I don't think I've seen the second half, to be honest, as good from any team, any All Ireland winning team. Um, it was just absolutely phenomenal. All the players that started, the substitutes that, that came on. Um, yeah, you're right, you'd have to tip your hat to him. It was just an incredible performance. It certainly was. Kilkenny certainly put it up to him in the first half in particular, but they, they certainly lagged in the second half, and I suppose they couldn't keep up that intensity for 70 minutes. No, and I suppose that's what Limerick are all about. I think when you talk to any of the Corkleds or anything, after games, they, they will tell you, like, you, you feel it. You feel it everywhere, energy-wise, physically. They just weigh you down, and they stick to their process. Um, you know, I suppose they do. You know, they have the ability to mix it up slightly then as well against the wind. They went through the lines. They continue to go through the lines in the second half, but definitely fed. You know, their full forward line much, much more. There was the ball was going in way more regularly. Um, and then I suppose Galan. Even though I thought in the second half, you know, he got one fantastic point. I thought Hugh Lawler did well in him, but Peter Casey took over. It really was the Casey show in the second half. Mm-hmm. He got two unbelievable scores under the Hogan stand, and the ball out in front. Eventually, Tommy Walsh ha- had to be substituted. He was just unbelievable. So. Yeah, that that that's what they do to you, though, don't they? They just hang in there. They they take the punches, um, you know, and they got in a half time. They got a couple of good scores just before half time as well. I think it was only a goal in their half time when they were really out of the game. They got a couple of crucial scores. Kane yeah. Lynch scored unbelievable leadership, set up a great score for for David really just before half time. And going down, going in a goal down, I'd say not playing that well. I'd say Kylie was absolutely delighted and. You know, it's, I would say I would say he said to them, "Look, this is our chance now to start nailing these fellas, start getting mm-hmm. the hits in." Um, get through the lines quicker, move the ball that bit faster, be a bit better with the premier possession, and you know cut out the turnover stuff because they were poor on turnovers. Kilkenny won more second ball, got more scores in that first half from turnovers, but everything was right to fight in the second half. And you know, with 50 minutes to go, it was only going to be one. <laughs> yeah, that certainly was. Um, speaking of John Kylie, I mean, like, did he change anything tactically for the second half, or was, was it as just you said, just like lads step up small bit? Well, I suppose the switch of Kane Lynch probably went up the field a little bit further, put a bit more pressure on Richie Reid just for half time. Um, but I suppose in the second half, I'm not so sure tactically if there was a whole pile done, but definitely their leader stood up. I thought Gerald Hagerty was absolutely brilliant in the second half, got two marvellous points. And even before he got the scores, you know, he was just throwing his weight around a little bit more. He was involved, I think they dispossessed, or at least they forced Paddy Deegan to overcarry the ball at one stage coming out. And you could just see from the fist pumping the gritted teeth that what that meant, they knew that. You know, if they could kind of get that, um, if they could force Kilkenny back a little bit more and not allow Kilkenny's running game to take off, then they had a chance. So I think there was little moments like that. Um, Peter Casey standing up and uh, Kane Lynch continuing to play as he did in, in, in the first half. You know, it was just key players really stepping up and Dermot Burns, I don't think, missed a free all day. They were absolutely unerring. He caught one marvellous ball from a puck out. Um, 
Um, again, Hagerty showed leadership and took a very fast free and he drove it over to Dermot Burns from 90 yards. So, more so than tactically stuff, I'd say it was more to do with big players like, you know, Lynch, Hagerty, Casey and Dermot Burns really stepped up, stepping up, they got him over the line. It's a four in a row now for Limerick. Uh, Cork did it in the 40s, Kilkenny did it in the, the 2000s. Um, where does this Limerick team rank for you, Sean, in the list of the all-time great? Well, obviously, um, Rory, safe to say I didn't see the team of the Cork team in the 40s. <laughs> you played in that 40s. You played in that team, Sean, didn't you? <laughs> Not that old. The, the, the Kilkenny team of the noughties obviously was exceptional and did some incredible players. But I, I would think that this team is, I don't know, maybe slightly ahead of them because they do more than just, this sounds a little bit stupid, I suppose, than just play and, and tear into it. It's just their game plan stuff. It's absolutely incredible. The whole sort of tactical genius on the line that that, that likes of Kylie but obviously Paul Kinnerk and I think Ian Lynch referenced him a good bit in, in the after in the in the speech after the game you know what Kinnerk does you know and sometimes when you're looking at it you're saying yes you're overplaying it get rid of the ball you're putting it into the dangerous spot but just when it goes into a, a dangerous area they're able to you know give a fast flick pass you know their movement their energy levels um, and I suppose as well to be fair to them I mean they lost huge players they lost the captain one of the greatest captains we'd see in the game in Declan Hannon, you know, they lost Sean Finn and they still came back, you know, like the, their ability to rebound just goes to show how strong their panel is and, you know, Carl O'Neill came on, he got two marvellous points, set up another score. Just their whole squad just looks to finish the article, Rory, and like like they actually don't look like a team that's finished. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. I thought at different stages throughout the year, particularly in the Munster campaign, that they looked a bit jaded and maybe that... Um, the energy levels were waning, the enthusiasm, the energy was going a bit. But no, they look like a team that are going to go for, for five in a row. And before the game, when you listen to John Kiley, the way they just respond, re- rebounded after the 2019 defeat to Kilkenny, um, you know, they just seem to have learned so much from that. And they don't look like a, a team that's finished. It, it, it looks like, <laughs> ominously for other counties, they're, they're very much game on for five in a row. Yeah, say. hopefully Keane Lynch won't be the captain. I think his speech is still ongoing in Croke Park as we uh, speak. <laughs> it went on for 14 days. He thanked everyone. I was expecting us to get a, a thank you at some point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, yeah as some you player, though, Rory, I mean, we take him in Cork. What a Rolls Royce player for a lad that came back from such a, you know, a dangerous injury. A lot of, those, a lot of top players don't come back from those injuries. I thought today's performance, especially in the first half when they needed a leader, was just incredible. Yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. You have to give it up to him. As you say, look, five in a row next year, I don't think anyone bet against them during the five in a row. Kilkenny were, I suppose, the second best team in the country this year and they still couldn't get close to, to Limerick. So what do the other teams have to do to get up to that Limerick level is the big question, Johnny. Yeah, it's huge, isn't it? I mean, Kilkenny are the one team you'd always, you'd always associate them with work rate, ferocity in the tackle, never say die attitude. I went to the Clare and Kilkenny game a couple of weeks ago and it was exactly how they got over the line and you know the mistake from Quilligan and the combined mistake from Quilligan and Hayes that led to the goal dispossessed by Billy Ryan flick past to TJ TJ gave to Cody I completely exemplified all that's brilliant about Kilkenny um, but just it's hard to say Rory I, I, I think it's a mix of everything I, th- I think you could um, do Limerick a little bit of a disservice if you say it's just about this and it's about that you know Fundamentally, it's about as well their incredible stick work and um, putting ball into dangerous areas where you're it's congested and fellas just have that one f- m- minuscule second really to get into their hand. They just have that completely mastered. They're unbelievable stickmen as well. Their ability to strike, find a man with long distance striking, some of the crossfield balls, especially the first ball that Gillan got for a score right out in front and a sidestep. Mm. Apart from everything you say about their work rate and 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 the uh, tactical noose of Canurk on the line. They are also incredible hurlers. So for anyone to get them off that mantle, you need to mix everything. You need to be a top-class team, top-class players, incredible cohesion within your camp, um, an unbelievable work ethic. Um, and anything that kind of matches that might eventually get there. But I, as I said earlier, ominously for other counties, ourselves included, yeah. no, they don't look like they're going away anytime soon. No, they certainly don't. As for Cork, um, they were a point away from a Munster final against Limerick uh, a couple of weeks back. Um, what did you make of their championship campaign this year and the improvements that they made and what did they have to do for next year? Yeah, Cork had a very encouraging campaign, no doubt about it. Um, you know, beaten by a point in two championship games and they were the away game. I suppose they did what they had to do in the home game, probably unlucky not to get a win against Tipperary in the park. Mm-hmm. Um, started the campaign brilliant against Waterford. But look, I've I, I read a couple of articles since and I heard what Pat Ryan said and Pat's a very honest guy and said that. He, he was still only one win out of four games. Like So yeah. he'll know full well that to get up to that next level, 
um, you know, things are needed and changes are probably needed. Changes to the team and the panel are probably needed. Small bit of rethinking about the whole setup is probably needed. And that's no, you know, jaw-dropping statement to make because, you know, ultimately we still did only win one out of four games. But for all that, um, they were encouraging signs. You know, there's, and the overall landscape in car curling has been by by the fact that we had a brilliant under-21 or under-20 campaign. And you'd imagine that there's three or four lads that will step up catapult themselves onto the panel, put pressure on the existing guys in the panel, and that's only good. You know, all that is was only really, really good and positive. So while the seniors will be disappointed, I think the landscape and car curling should be very, very, you know, it's bright and it should be looking forward to a twenty twenty four season um with these really, really talented twenty ones or under twenty players to come onto the panel. Yeah, well said. Uh, as always Shawnee, a pleasure boy. Thanks for talking talking to us today. Great stuff. No oh, Thanks, Shawnee boy. I'm uh, very, very, very delighted to have Shawnee on the show. Um, star of that Cork uh, four in a row team in the 1940s. An absolute pleasure to have him. He's going to kill me. <laughs> it's a pleasure to have him on the show uh, today. Um, we are going to have reaction from uh, Croke Park as soon as we get at that Limerick performance today. I'm just like... I'm blown away by that second half performance. They were just, they hit an extra gear and just killed. Kenny could not live with them. It was absolutely incredible, incredible stuff today. In Croke Park, we'll hear from that Kilkenny team before we get out of here at 7pm. We are going to look back, though, at Cork's win over Galway yesterday as they booked their place in the All-Ireland Senior Camogie Championship uh, final. Great win uh, over Galway yesterday. They'll face Waterford now in the final side that beat them already this year Hayley Ryan who was on the 2-6 to six show here uh, this afternoon as part of that Cork uh, senior squad so massive congratulations indeed uh, to Hayley and the rest of the Cork uh, senior panel but we are going to hear now from Cork boss Matthew Toomey he's been seeing the Jonathan Higgins after yesterday's win about booking their place in the All-Ireland final Matthew uh, I suppose you take a big sigh of relief but you're through to an All-Ireland final yeah it's, it's great um, look it was a titanic battle out there like um you know, like great credit to Galway as well. Like the two teams, the conditions were poor enough. Like it slowed the game down, and you know, it made a lot of kind of rocks and a lot of dog fights. But Galway were getting all them in the first half. We 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 weren't happy with the way we were coming out of these games or those kind of tackles and all that. Like in the second half, we improved on it. Um, I suppose the, the bench coming off as well made a big difference. You know, a big experience and just a bit of composure. Like, but like when when they got the second goal there. You know, you'd be kind of saying we're under pressure. Like, but the the older heads came through. Then like it's it, it was brilliant. Like. There's an old cliche, but maybe it's made a mockery of today. Goals win games, but I suppose it's how you react to those goals. And your side reacted brilliantly both times. Did it? Yeah, we, we went away. We, like when they got the goal, we went up and got a great point. And, and you know, we, we were tipping away at times as well there. And, and you know, the work rate off players was, was was incredible. Like you know, um, we just like, it was actually the players drove at the half time. We were just saying go for ball for ball. Don't be worrying. You know, if something goes against us, don't be thinking about the end result. Just just go ball for ball. Like and you know, they, they hung on. It's quite a battle, as you said. Galway rallied at the end, but you know you touched on it there—the impact of the bench. Clowney come on, get two points, and then you know just big moments off the bench as well. Absolutely, like Ashley Thompson threw herself around all across, was a tread up there, and Laura Hayes, you know, like it was great impact, like you know, and that's what that's what it's for. Orla Callan come on, got a great point as well, like you know she was she was probably our best player in the league, and, and you know she can't get into the team, like but she's after putting her hand up there. But look, um, the, the thing we're very conscious of, nothing's won, you know, we were like we were, we've been in semi-finals and we've been in finals, and look, we've nothing. The show for we're after beating Kilkenny and Galway, after beating the, you know the two best teams in us, but we've not the show for it. Like so, we have to go again. So twofold on that. One is you're going to have one hell of a job to try and pick your team for the final. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is great. Look, that's what that's what you want, and that's probably what we were lacking at times. Right? But that's like you know it's, it's great out there now today. Like. It's, I thought it was remarkable speaking to Saoirse there after a player of the match award and she, the first thing she kind of said was Waterford have beaten us already yeah. we need to get one thing right you know you've, you've a very experienced clued in squad out there absolutely they, you know people probably say no it's Cock and Waterford like, but like we, they, as, as, as Saoirse said like, they, they beat us and, and, and you know they beat us like, I think it was three points or something in the end but they beat us well um, you know we under no illusion walking of a game and like they're they're going to probably increase 20 or 30 percent going up to Crow Park in the All Ireland final. We we were struggling over from last year in the semi final so we we're under no illusion like there's, there's going to be no fear of us being complacent or anything like that. We're, we're going to we know it's going to be an unbelievable battle against them. And you've certainly taken the down the middle of the road. You've taken a direct hardest path possible almost to the final, but that that could serve you well as well. Absolutely, I I think every game since the league final we've been under pressure, so like that's that's what you want and we responded and like you know. I've no doubt honestly, the All-Ireland final is going to be a huge pressure bat again like, and we, we have to respond again and that's that's up to us like. 
But it's something great. Look forward to a final in two weeks' time. It's great, yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. Best of luck in the final. Thank you very much. Congratulations uh, to Matthew Toomey and the Cork team. And we will, of course, be following the Rebels every step of the way. And our man, Mr. John McCarthy, will have more on the Women in Sport podcast that's available on the Big Red Bench feed every Thursday at 12 noon. Let's hear from Cork, Sir McCarthy. Sorry. No, you're grand. Sisha, you're mobbed here on the field. Uh, a wonderful day. Yeah, look, you know, you see it when the, the the club members make the trip up. Like you have to say hi, and like, you know, there was a massive crowd today, and I just think it was a really good day for Camogie. Like the first match, there was a huge crowd in, and like it creates excitement as well. There's going to be new finalists, so I suppose you know it's just a great day, and I'm delighted we got out the right side of it. Yeah, you train so hard, you put so much time, commitment. Your body's on the line. I suppose special scenes like that with club members and family members are special. Oh yeah, definitely. Like, and I think as well, you kind of take no notice as to who's going before the game. So then, when you see them afterwards, it's a nice surprise. Um, I know, like, like when family go and they go to everything, and they've been there, they've had enough hard days. So I'm glad we could give them a good day. <laughs> it certainly was a good day. You were pretty much at it from the off. Yeah. Look, I suppose we knew like this is the fourth time meeting them this year, and they've beaten us three, um, three times previously, and like psychologically that's tough going into but we knew that everything happened in the past and today was just another chance to go at it and I'm glad we did. Is that motivation the fact that they've beaten you so many times in a row or do you just take it game on game? I suppose we've been taking it game, game on game every every match so far this year um, Like we take nothing for granted like obviously we knew we were going to go back all the way and you know we know when we come up against these teams there's nothing there's nothing in between it so like we knew even at the end there nothing was safe so I suppose we had to fight to the end. Yeah, it's remarkable. Both halves were almost identical. You're the dominant side, but Galway chiselled back with goals in each half. Yeah, look, I suppose you can never write them off. Um, like, they have come back at us so many times and got that goal, or, you know, even when we get a goal or go ahead, they can still claw back. So I suppose we weren't taking anything for granted until the whistle went. And you got a good impact off your bench as well? Massive. And, you know, I suppose having the girls come back the last couple of weeks has been a massive boost in the squad like you know the likes of Ashton Thompson Orla Cronin Laura Hayes all coming back from injury at the same time was just huge and I'm so glad the girls came on and showed today like the, the, the fight for positions now is, is scary It's going to be quite a battle in two weeks time Oh yeah yeah definitely like Galway or Waterford have beaten us this year already and you know we're going to take nothing for granted nothing is won yet so you know, we'll go out and, and give it everything again I suppose I'm sure you're hoping for similar scenes as you're witnessing right now yeah, do you know what? Everyone wants to win. But um, look, we'll take nothing for granted. We'll go back to training now in the next couple of weeks and, and go hard. Let's look in the final. Thanks a million. You're listening to the Big Red Bench on Corks for FM. And that is Sirish McCarthy there in conversation with Jonathan Higgins as they book their place in the All-Ireland Camogie final. It's going to be a cracker against Waterford in two weeks. And as Sirish alluded to there, the Rebels are gunning for revenge after Waterford beat them already this year. Going to turn our attentions to motorsport. Max Verstappen winning again today at the Hungarian Grand Prix our F1 expert Sarah McKenzie fully joins us live in the studio Sarah how are you? Hooray so exciting <laughs> First time uh, having Sarah in studio you can listen to Sarah every week on the Women in Sport podcast with Jerry McCarthy and every time there is a race every Saturday and Sunday on Cork's Red FM Seven in a row for Max Verstappen Sarah ninth of the season Red Bulls 12th consecutive win As an F1 fan is it getting boring? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of our segment. Thank you, yeah, folks. At uh, the end, um, I don't think anyone's afraid to say that anymore. I think you still, though, have to respect the achievements. You know, finished 33 seconds ahead of Lando Norris mm. in second place. Even by lap 12, he had a four second gap. You know, it's just the thing is a rocket ship. And it, even though it was a, a Red Bull 1 2, and Sergio Perez did have a fantastic race, he really charged through from the back. It's just Max Verstappen all day. It really is. And, you know, even down to their strategy, the pit stop, they did a 1.9 second pit stop for Perez. That's, you know, it's world class. Um, you know, I'd, I'd love to see any of us <laughs> try, and, try and achieve that with a normal car. Uh, but it's just incredible. Yeah, it's sensational stuff indeed. Um, but as a spectacle, I mean, like for fans watching on, as you mentioned and alluded to, like it's it was all the way the first corner essentially today when he when he picked Lewis Hamilton the corner one. Yeah, I think Lewis was really disappointed by his start. He just didn't connect. There's two phases to a start, and he just didn't connect the second phase. He got bogged down, and he was swallowed by Verstappen and the two McLarens. So I think that was it. Was pretty disappointing for him. He came over the radio and apologized pretty much straight away mm. to the team. You know, he's been in that position so many times, but you forget he also hasn't been there for so long. Like that was his first pole since I think. 
you know, it's over a year. Yeah. And apparently you do lose a little bit of it, you know. I think the lap on Saturday was a magic lap. I don't think the car did the lap. Lewis did the lap. Mm. And, you know, at the end of the day, he just didn't have the performance left in race pace then to, to pull it off. For Max, how much of it is Max and how much of it is the car? I mean... It's interesting if you look at even pictures of their new upgrades, it looks like a spaceship, you know, like it re- the aerodynamics yeah. that Adrian Newey and his team are creating are far beyond anything that the other teams are doing. So it is very much the car. But having said that, Verstappen is top tier. You know, I, I wouldn't say one of the greatest of all time, but I think if he keeps going the way he's going, he could definitely get there. He is just formidable I don't mm. think anyone really likes racing him you know like he's <laughs> you're not going to relish that I don't think maybe Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso who've been around for years and years but I think he's just on another level in that age group of drivers honestly So he can go on and dominate the sport for years and years and years essentially He could if he wanted to now he said recently he doesn't know if he'll continue beyond his current contract so mm. That's up in 2028, I believe. That's a negotiating tactic, surely, isn't it? Oh, I might retire, pay me more money. Now. I don't know, because even after he won his first championship, everyone straight away was like, oh, you're going to go back to back, like all this buzz. And he sort of went, my life goal has been to win one championship. Yeah. And I've done that now. You know, even his dad, his dad is very overbearing. Like, you know, you yes. must do this. Yes. Yeah. Um, and even he has like calmed massively since that first championship was won. So... I think if he got bored, he would leave, yeah. to be quite honest. So what age would he be he, in five years' time? He'd still be youngish. Like, He'd still be young, maybe early 30s, yeah. um, if that. And, you know, there's massive regulation changes coming in 2026. He's already said he doesn't like the sound of them. Mm-hmm. So he said, basically, if I don't like it by 2028, like, I'll probably just leave. Yeah, he's made his money. He's done everything he can in the sports. I mean, like, what does he have to prove, I guess? Exactly, exactly. It's different for someone like Lewis Hamilton or Fernando Alonso. They're on this, like, redemption arc yeah. um, where they kind of have something to fight for. But it's taking candy from a baby at this point for Verstappen. Yeah, and for Lewis Hamilton, I mean, like, how much more does he have to give to the sport, I suppose? I mean, like, every year it's like, is Lewis going to retire? Is Lewis going to retire? And if he's going to be that far behind the Red Bull, then next year he might just go, oh, you're good. Yeah, it's interesting because he's in contract negotiations at the moment um, and apparently... Toto Wolf revealed to one of the F1 juniors that was reporting for Sky Sports this weekend yeah. that Lewis is going to sign a contract for two years and that was supposed to be a secret. <laughs> Unfortunately, the child decided to reveal that. Oh dear. <laughs> so, top we don't, you know, top secret, we don't know exactly, but he will carry on, I think, for another two years. But after that, he said time and time again, I need the team to listen to me. I keep telling them we're going the wrong direction and you know, there's only so long they're going to be willing to do that, really. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, big news this week was the return of Daniel Ricciardo, which I... Yes. Was that completely out of the blue? No. There were rumours upon rumours, yeah. and it's interesting, you know, he said last year that he wouldn't go to a bottom-of-the-grid team, yeah. but apparently the, the more time he spent in the simulator and the more time he spent going to the track, he realised that he just wanted to be in any car. <laughs> so I think to be fair to him, you know, he had a really difficult start to the race today. He was involved in that turn one incident uh, that Joe Guan Yu was eventually penalised for causing and he dropped down to P18 and he got him ba- himself back up to P13, yeah. which is where he had started. So I think that's really encouraging and he outqualified his teammate yesterday. Um, so I think to be honest that's probably the best they could have hoped for it's great to have him back though he's an absolute character like and the sport needs characters like him they do and especially in a time where the racing is boring you know you need people that are interesting and no offence to Max Verstappen but like he's he doesn't light up anyone's TV screen so I think we really need people like Daniel Ricciardo for sure Um, and finally just on Max Verstappen and his broken trophy today (laughs) Um, it was one of the funniest (laughs) instances I've ever seen this thing looks expensive it looks like a Ming vase that <laughs> was broken in half by Lando Norris. Yeah, he for whatever reason, instead of banging the bottom of his champagne bottle on his own podium step, he banged it on Max Verstappen's <laughs> right next to this porcelain eight-figure trophy <laughs> that takes six months to make, and it fell off and broke. So it was quite funny. He turned into a bit of a child.
smiled and just kind of ran away and laughed, which, yeah. <laughs> Nothing about a super can fix, but looks for it. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out that I'm sure Verstappen <laughs> has a, a warehouse at this point of replica trophies. Sarah, thanks for coming into the studio to us. You can hear more from Sarah on the Women in Sport podcast with Joe McCarthy this coming Thursday. Get that on the Big Red Bench feed on Cork FM. Sarah, thanks for coming. Thanks for having me. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. You're listening to the Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM with Shore, 72-hour non-stop protection. We're going to talk American football now and the Irish national team are coming to Cork for a huge game in two weeks' time as the Irish Wolfhounds play Turkey on Saturday, August 5th at MTU Stadium. I've been looking ahead to the game uh, with head coach Kieran O'Sullivan. Delighted to be joined on the line now by the head coach of the Irish Wolfhounds, Mr. Kieran O'Sullivan, as we look ahead to what is going to be a big game in Cork in a couple of weeks. Kieran, thanks for coming on to the Big Red Bench. How are you, sir? All good, Rory. All good. And looking forward to the game. Yeah, it's going to be an absolutely cracking occasion. But before we get to that, Kieran, can you give me some of your background in football and how you got involved in the sport here in this country? Uh, it's very funny. Um, I lived in the States for a while, and when I came home, there was like uh, I was used to watching American sports and playing a bit of baseball and stuff over mm. um, and started throwing a baseball around with a couple of people and there was softball as well. And uh, on coming up to Thanksgiving, we were still throwing a ball around and we said we'd like to see a football game mm. uh, because that's a tradition in America. Thanksgiving, everybody goes see a football game. And uh, so myself and uh, John Stokes from up beyond Blarney, um, decided to see if we could find one and when I phoned the association at the time um, I asked like how, you know where do I go to see a football game or how do I see one and the guy at the other end of the phone said start a team <laughs> so we did we started the uh, we started the Cork Admirals yeah. um, on the basis of that phone call and you know that club is still still going today and is a, a huge anchor in the uh, Irish American football community yeah so, yeah yeah, that's it, how it started, and yeah, fantastic. You know, yeah. Just from <laughs> we're from, from over, there, then it just grew. We're cutting over each other here with the zoom delay, I think, uh, a little bit. But uh, yeah, okay. the Admirals are a team that we've uh, had on the Big Red Bench quite a number of times, and football, I suppose, is uh, something that I've covered on the Big Red Bench since I've been on the show. To to be honest about it, so it's um, fantastic to see here on, I suppose, the growth of the sport. I suppose in the time that you formed the Admirals up until now. Yeah, like when the Admirals um, joined uh, the sport, there were um, four other teams involved uh, all over the island. So um, that's from uh, Northern Ireland, Dublin, um, Limerick. You know, um, no, there's 23 senior kitted clubs. There are youth football clubs. Um, we have flag football uh, being played a lot this time of year, and we've got the European flag football championships coming to Limerick um, later on as well and uh, the first women's team from Ireland to represent uh, the country in football are representing in the flag football European championships so like the growth is is astonishing when I think back to the early days and um, you know like there was uh, people these days don't believe me when I tell them what it was like uh, back then you know um, playing on any kind of green surface we could get. No, it's so organised and, you know, having stadiums like MTU and uh, games in Ravenhill and um, it's, it's just a huge, huge mm. growing sport and it's amazing. Yeah, I remember you guys training down in Kennedy Park on Sunday mornings, was it? Yeah, and that was actually a, a toy over from the uh, softball. That's, that was a big spot for a softball mm. and um, it, was a great, it was a great location. Probably health and safety wise wouldn't uh, pass muster <laughs> these days, but um, everybody knew who we were because people passing by would just see the game mm. or the training going on and um, you know it generated a lot of interest for us so yeah they were they were happy days down there um, you're talking about no dressing rooms you know getting changed on uh, the wall by um, the side of the park and um, you know dealing with um, you know locals and interesting people who kind of would be hanging around in that that area of, of town at various times in the weekend but um, it was all great fun and yeah. uh, but no it's 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 super organised and most clubs have um, partnered up with um, you know proper sports venues and 
you know, it's a, it's it's like a real sport now, to be honest. <laughs> a real sport, I like that line. Um, how did you end up becoming the head coach of the Irish team? Well, I was coaching with the Admirals for a while and then I moved to coach the University of Limerick and um, was lucky enough to win some national and European championships while I was there. Um, after a period of time, that came to a natural conclusion. And just as it did, um, somebody in the association decided that we should put together a youth football team to take on a Canadian travelling mm. team of the same age. And um, I was at a loose end, so I got a call basically to put together an offence in three weeks to face this mm. high school aged all-star travelling team from Manitoba and um, it's like no Irish team at that point had ever beaten a travelling American team or North American team and um, yeah we got the team together in three weeks and we beat them so it just that kind of ignited a spark in having a national team or a national programme and uh, since then I've been with the national programme and um, just the move was to set up the senior team and we had a Team Ireland for a while, which graduated or evolved into the Wolfhounds. Um, and I've been the head coach of both those programs. So, um, yeah, it was just, what, 15 years of hard work. And it's, it's very easy to become the head coach of anywhere. <laughs> I'd imagine, like, um, I suppose, like the game in Ireland at a local level, like the Irish team, I suppose, has, has grown as well and has become, I suppose, a more professional setup and has gotten bigger and, I suppose, more expansive over the years. Yeah, like we're... Um, we're based up in the National Sports Campus in Blanchestone with uh, Sport Ireland. So, you know, we're sharing facilities there with uh, Olympic programs and other sports. Um, our, our pitch is right beside the FAI facility. Um, you know, it, it's great when you're in that environment and it just shows how elevated uh, the program has become. I know last year we were preparing for a trip to Madrid so we did a lot of um, indoor training, even in the summertime, um, to replicate the, uh, you know, the heat and the dry conditions, um, which was great. And then we got to Madrid and it rained. Um, but we have access to those facilities. We're, we're training on the same facilities that the uh, IRFU uh, train on, same type of facility. Um, it's just amazing. And then you look at um, players from the national program or at that level who are playing their trade professionally across Europe. So we, we've got players going out to uh, Finland, Germany, Sweden, uh, Spain on a regular basis. Um, you know, they're well sought after. The coaching here at club level has come on amazingly since basically I started. Um, and, you know, it's it. these guys are well-grounded in the game, highly physical players, used to a physical game. And that's that's at a premium uh, across Europe to be honest so it's it's great to see Yeah that must give you like a particular sense of pride when you see players I suppose progress on from Ireland's play abroad Yeah we've had um, you know there's a, a couple of kickers now gone from um, our shores to play in the NCAA and even on to the NFL and a couple of those have come through our programmes and um, we've got a bit of a pathway set up almost for um rugby and GA players to transfer over to American football and, and uh, especially for the younger guys, opportunities for, um, I mean, a, a fully paid scholarship to a Division One school in America is, is a massive financial commitment from mm -hmm. the school. Um, all expenses paid, education for four years, um, as well as an opportunity to perhaps play in the NFL. Um, you know, and like they just look at our kickers and want more. <laughs> That's the um the Gaelic football background, I'd imagine. Of a lot of players, though, it seems to translate very well to to American football. Well, like I was talking to um, one of the coach Hawkins. He's um, out there in UC Davis, and um, he's travelled here and been to a few GA games. And um, as I said to him, you know, if you take a Gaelic football player, they be expected to slot over a 45 yard or 45 meter um, free kick mm. you know anyone gets a 45 you put it over and it doesn't matter what the angle is now you measure that distance and straighten out the angle because in football we only kick from directly in front of the mm. posts um, 
and most Gaelic football players are looking at you going what what's the big deal with this <laughs> you know what's what's the problem here or you know punting a punting a football um you know so lofting the ball over the bar um again from a distance is not an issue so you know it's, it's um just the geometry and distances don't bother the Gaelic football player and to be fair rugby players are really good at it as well but the other element of it is that um, college football is is almost like the GA in terms of its parochial mm-hmm. so you know everybody in the town supports the college team and all the alumni come back and support the college team it's just like having a, a club you know whether it's like uh, Blackrock or Napiershig um, you know the whole parish gets behind it knows what's happening knows who's uh, who's starting know who the stars are and um it's it's a very simple and even the media um uh, you know the media spotlight um can be a bit intense on GEA players at college level here as well so yeah it's it's an environment that GEA players tend to find very familiar and yet comfortable in terms of what they're being asked to do mm-hmm. physically um football squads are huge how do you keep track of all the players that you have at your disposal prospective players and how time consuming is it well, we, we scout all the time. So if the playing squad is big, there are 12 uh, coaches on my coaching team as well. Mm. And we also keep a working relationship with the clubs so that the head coaches and coaches in the in the clubs um, feed us through information on how people are doing. A big part of our game and a big part of American football for years has been film. Um, games are filmed and, and film is passed around. So... It's not surprising to get, um, you know, an email on a Monday morning from a coach, maybe in Westmead, with highlights of a particular player, and um, that puts them on the radar. And then it's easy enough to get a coach in that location to go out and see a game. And uh, we scout people that way. The numbers are um, a bit mind-boggling. So we'd have at present a 75-man roster ahead of the game that we have to declare mm-hmm. um, ahead of the game, and then the day before the game we would declare the 45-player uh, game roster. Um, so that's 45 players kitted up and to be used in the, you know, can be used in the game uh, as we wish. So even travelling from, um, you know, let's say where we're going to be staying or, or accommodation on game day um, with 45 players with all the equipment, uh, 12 coaches, logistics and medical staff, um, it's almost like the Irish Olympic team in terms of numbers, um, but that's across a lot of sports. We're just um, we're just one team, one, and that's what we that's what, what we have to manage, you know. Yeah, and you mentioned logistics, and imagine the people working behind the scenes to, to to make this all run smoothly are a vital part, a vital cog, I suppose, in the machine. We've got um, a general manager and um, two other logistics uh, managers in um, Eleanor, Kevin Tempney, and Chris Orr. And like without those guys, um, you know, we wouldn't manage it. And I mean, they're like any other support staff in, in sports, like they're, they're just have to be switched on before the players show up and well after the players leave, as well as preparing days in advance and weeks in advance, uh, depending on like taking a team to Madrid, um, you know, taking a team to Belgium, taking a team to Holland, um, you know, making sure everybody's at the uh, departure gate in time and, uh, has is ticketed passported and all the rest of it it's um yeah it's like herding geese uh, sometimes <laughs> but um yeah, it's, it's a it's a job and it's but everybody involved in our association would be uh, voluntary as well um so there's you know these are people who are giving up their time and the players who give up their time um you know for the love of the game and when you've got that in common um, you know, it's very easy to to build a, a strong team bond and unity, and everybody's involved in the team. We're all in it for one reason: we all love football, and um, that gets you a long way uh, when you come up against adversity. You know. Yeah. Um, how did this game with Turkey come about, Kieran? Well, it's a European Championship game, um, so the European Championship runs over 2022-2023. We're in the um, in the B category, in the B grade. Um, that said, we're one of the newest, or no, we are the newest international team um, in terms of experience and, and timeline in Europe. Um, we had been drawn 
um, at the start of last year against um, Belarus and Ukraine. Um, so everything had to be readjusted because Russia were in our group as well. So obviously, you know, unfortunately, um, and probably the smallest inconvenience of the situation out there was, uh, you know, the disturbance to our schedule. Um, and then in in the rejigging, um, we were uh, drawn with Spain and Turkey. Um, and, you know, fair play to uh, the Turkish Federation because they had their own uh, trouble with the, the massive earthquake. Um, so, you know, it takes a lot for them uh, to get the logistics. I mean, they have the same um, huge operation that we have. And again, on a voluntary basis, uh, to get all those players and, and coaches to come here um, is an amazing achievement, you know. Certainly is. Uh, why was MTU chosen as the venue? Okay, so um, back when I was coaching with Limerick, um, our first uh, Shamrock Bowl final, or my first Shamrock Bowl final with uh, with the Vikings, was played there, mm. and um, I've been involved in several court games there, providing um, just background stadium commentary for people who are attending. Um, I, I love the venue, so a huge hard push from me. Um, to get it there. One of the things I keep saying is that we take game, a lot of things to Dublin automatically and there are games that only, let's say, Crow Park or the Aviva can handle, but for our sport we don't have that. We don't have that issue, so we've got the freedom to pick somewhere. Um, and as I've been saying to um, you know, the people in, in AFI, uh, the management, um, Cork is a fantastic sporting Mm-hmm. and they've been supporting Irish teams who do come to, to Cork very, very well. Um, and, you know, you put on an event like, you know, an international game here in Cork and people will see it and support it and it's, 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 an, it's a proper event. You could go to Dublin with two or three of those games and, and they just disappear into, you know, the big city kind of vibe that's happening up there. Um so that's that's one thing. The other thing as well is a lot of our players are used uh, to playing in MTU and stadiums like that. So going to somewhere like Ravenhill, um, not really not really great because it's uh, it adds another kind of level of excitement mm-hmm. or energy um, that the players wouldn't be used to. We've had the uh, Shamrock Bowl was played in the MTU stadium last week, and then Cork had a semi final. Um, before that and there was a family day as well prior to that so our game is going to be the fourth um, American football game played at the stadium just within a matter of months and um, it's a fantastic place the staff out there brilliant they understand um, a lot of sports and and dealing with a lot of different team sports out there and they know the dynamic and they're very used to um, making people athletes Mm -hmm. and uh, visitors feel comfortable and it's it's a great facility like it just really is Yeah it certainly is it promises to be a very uh, exciting occasion when it kicks off at 3 o'clock on, on the 5th of August As for this Turkey team Kiran, um I'd imagine you've seen a bit of film on them um, how, what are their strengths I suppose heading into this game? Uh, they're they're you know a great team um, they would have the um, Istanbul Rams would have played in the European League which is uh, the highest club level it's the, the Champions League of um, American football if you like and um, a lot of their players and coaches would come from that background so a lot of experience there playing across Europe at that level um, they're a big team they've got a well-drilled offensive line which is always the indication of um, a solid you know experienced team that will give you trouble mm-hmm. if the offensive line is going well you, I can guarantee you every other element of their team is um, equally proficient um, big and physical players uh, they like contact which is grand we like contact uh, being Irish we're up for that fight <laughs> so th- there's going to be sparks flying and um, you know probably a little bit of a personality clash between the teams I'd imagine so it should be good yes certainly should on the other side of that coin then Kieran what are the strengths of your team well as I said we've got a lot of people playing um, across Europe and, and coaching across Europe now so um, we're also new enough that 
not a whole lot is known about us. So football is big about scouting and getting patterns and uh, finding out tendencies of coaches and how players like to play. Um, there isn't a whole lot of information. So we're very much an unknown um, for people. But what everybody, anybody I speak to in Europe knows about us is that we're, we're a super physical team. And um, that kind of sharpens the nerves of our opponents um, when they see it in action. So, yeah, I'd say it's our physicality, but we're not just that. Um, we're a younger team. I'm looking at um, the roster between Madrid, uh, which was uh, last fall, and this game coming up, and there's a lot of changes. Um, a lot of younger guys coming through uh, in the club games. The game has speeded up an awful lot, and um, we've got some of the fastest players in Europe. So, um, you know, we're just, we're just ready to go and show people what we can do. Yeah, it's going to be a cracking occasion in Kiran. I'd imagine getting a, a big crowd down to MTU and cheering on the Wolfhounds would be a massive help to your team as well. Oh, noise is a big part of it. And, um, you know, football, when you see it in the NFL, it's, it's kind of um, surreal. Mm. But anybody who's been to a college or high school game um, understands how, how close it is to our games. As I said already, it's like the parochial support. Um, the crowd plays a huge part in a football game, making noise, um, you know, putting opponents off and, and uh, shouting over their quarterback and all sorts of uh, shenanigans like that. But, um, you know, when you get involved in it, um, you don't have to understand the ins and outs of the game to, to know what's going on and who's been successful. Um, and again, there's a, it's it's almost like a bit of pantomime as well. They're they're definitely like uh, bad bad guys, and there's a sort of crowd participation with those. You'll always get that as well. It's um, yeah, it's great fun, but it's um, it is a very positive thing as well. So the engagement between the crowd and the uh, and the players, it's almost like scripted, um, you know, and it's it's family friendly. It's not a it's not a nasty environment. It's um, it's just expected, and it's a bit of fun and. We've we've travelled and played enough games in Europe to see, um, you know, how opposing crowds, um, you know, they'll try to put you off and they'll try to uh, annoy you in, in in the nicest possible way. But at the end of the game, then they kind of embrace the effort that you made. Um, and you know, even if you beat their team, they're they kind of appreciate that you've travelled all that way to to play against them. So, um, it, it's a highly positive environment, uh, good sport to go and watch, and because everybody there's 11 players on the field and everybody can contact everybody so it's not like rugby where it's all based around the ball you've got 11 guys going you know 22 mm. players going at it um, there's always going to be something catching your eye on every single play and uh, whether it's you like to watch the guys bomb down the field really fast or you want to watch the, the big you know 300 pound linemen push and shove each other around in the trenches there's something there for everyone it's going to be a cracking occasion. 5th of August, kickoff 3 o'clock at MTU Stadium. Tickets are available on universe.com forward slash Irish Wolfhounds. Kieran, very, very best of luck against Turkey, sir. Thanks for taking our call. And I'm really looking forward to watching this game. Thank you, Rory. Looking forward to seeing you there. That's going to be an absolutely brilliant occasion as the Irish Wolfhounds play Turkey. As I mentioned, Saturday, August 5th at MTU Stadium. Um, it's going to be absolutely brilliant. I'm really looking forward to, to doing it. We'll have more on that game on the Big Red Bench next weekend as we look ahead to it. But the very, very best of luck uh, to the Wolfhounds. Really enjoyed my chat with Kieran O'Sullivan about not just that game, I suppose, but the evolution of the sport in this country and I suppose how it's uh, come to be to this point where Ireland are playing Turkey in European Championships in Cork at MTU Stadium. A perfect venue for it as Kieran on mentioned the Admirals have played there a couple of times the Admirals are uh, of course good friends of uh, the bench as well so yeah very best luck uh, to the Wolfhounds and to play Turkey Saturday August 5th at MTU Stadium and that's pretty much it from us for this evening it's been a very very interesting day of sport uh, I mean like uh, Limerick winning that All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship uh, final just oh. that red hot performance they had in the second half against Kilkenny as they won by nine points they're just the third side in history to complete a four in a row Kilkenny in the noughties Cork in the forties and they could make it a five in a row next year and I don't think anyone back against them to win five in a row next year absolutely sensational stuff from John Kiley's side and uh, Brian Harmon has won the Open Championship at Hoy Lake his first ever major he finished uh, on 13 under par card 70 today he won by six shots Roy McElroy carded a final on a 68 he finished on six under par 
finished a tie for a sixth and um, Potter Carrington uh, finishing uh, today on uh, eight over par well thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us on the Big Red Bench our podcast will be online shortly you can get that on redfm.ie um, forward slash uh, sports you can get that on Goload and you can get that from wherever you download your podcast my thanks to Sarah McKenzie Foley uh, for joining us in studio this evening as well to talk F1 you can get more from Sarah on the Women's Sport podcast on this coming Thursday on the big red bench feed. Thanks very much for joining us, folks. Green and Red is up next. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday evening. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Corks Red FM. With Sure 72 hour non stop protection, tested to the limits. Sure, it won't let you down.